Hi, my name is Pastor David Elijah, and we are New Millennium Kingdom Church. We are coming to you from South Texas, and we are continuing our teaching on the book of Revelation. This is part five. So we, before we begin, let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege, the honor, and the responsibility to study your word, to apply it to our lives, to obey it fully, and to be prepared for your return. So bless this time, bless this word, bless your word, Lord. Let your word go forth, the living word, the Rama word of God, and let it bring life to people that listen to it, and let them be re-energized and refocused on what matters most. We are living in times that are very interesting, that death is at the doorstep. There's a pandemic going around. There's a lot of people afraid everywhere we look. People are scared. They have their mask on. They're afraid that that virus is going to come and kill them. And they have no hope. And they're just full of fear and dread. And they don't know what is coming next. So let your word establish faith in their heart. Let them not be afraid. Let that spirit of fear not control them. But let the word of God bring life and life eternal. Let them understand that your word is more powerful and more important and relevant in these times than ever before. And as we prepare for your return, because these are the times of the end, help us to be fully informed and understand your word. So help us to study your word fully. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let us run the intro right now. We will open our books to the book of Revelation and let us go to the Word of God. This is part five. We are continuing our teaching on the Word of God from the book of Revelation. And let us go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. We're going to repeat some of the verses from the previous sessions, but it's just to reestablish and refocus on the study of the book of Revelation. In chapter 1, verse 10, the Apostle John writes, and he's describing his experience, he's describing the visions he's receiving, he's describing in detail what he's hearing, what he's seeing, and what the Lord told him to write down so that we can read it today and understand what God has planned for our days, for our time, for this season. So chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now the word Spirit is in capital S. The reason why John is writing that is because he's declaring to you that that revelation that he's receiving is from the Holy Spirit. It is not from another spirit. It is not from the devil. It's not from the kingdom of darkness. It is coming straight from heaven through the Holy Spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit. And he's saying, I was in the Spirit. I was in the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, I was receiving revelation. I was seeing visions. I was hearing things. And he was trying to understand and put it in words what he was seeing, what he was hearing. So he's saying, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Sunday is the Lord's Day. Why is it called the Lord's Day? Because that was the day Jesus resurrected from the dead. And that has been dedicated for eternity as God's Day, the Lord's Day, Jesus' Day. 
Nobody else can have preeminence on that day. It's the day that which reminds us every week, every, every time Sunday comes around, we are to remember that this was the day. It was a Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's saying on that specific day, he had this revelation. It wasn't on a Thursday, Friday, on a Sabbath. It was on the Lord's Day, Sunday. So he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he heard behind him a loud voice as of a trumpet. It wasn't a still small voice. It wasn't a soft voice. It wasn't a whisper. It was so loud that it was sounding like a trumpet. So it was really loud. So there was no room for him to be distracted or think, is somebody just whispering to me? Or No, he was hearing a voice that was very loud. And what was that voice saying to him? It was the voice of Jesus. And it was saying to him, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. The Apostle John knew Jesus face to face. He knew him. He was a disciple of Jesus. He knew him as a human while Jesus was on the earth. But now Jesus is speaking to him as a resurrected Christ, as Almighty God. No angel, no created being can say these words. Only God Almighty can say these words. And this is being said through the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is backing up the words of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So Jesus is saying, I am Almighty God. I am the first and I am the last. Father God has given him all authority, all power, all dominion. So Jesus can officially or specifically say this. No one else can make this declaration in all of heaven, in all of the universe. Mary cannot say this. The saints cannot say this. Lucifer cannot say that. No foreign religion can say that. No fake religion can say it. There's so many religions on the earth. None of them have this declaration. They have many gods. They have many demon gods. They worship idols. They worship all kinds of things. But they cannot make the statement. Only Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the resurrected Christ, He's the only one that can make the statement. In Hinduism, in Buddhism, in different New Age religions, they have all kinds of ascended masters and teachers and spiritual beings and all kinds of fallen angels. And they have all these people just coming to them, entities coming and whispering things to these people and deceiving them and saying that they are God and they are from God and they are from heaven. But they cannot make this statement. Anytime anybody who's into New Age, into mysticism, into Gnosticism, into all, any kind of things that they say, oh, you know what, I have a secret knowledge of God and, and God spoke to me and an angel came and spoke to me. None of them can make this statement. Only the Lord Jesus can say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So when anybody has a supernatural encounter and they say, oh, God spoke to me and God showed me, the first test is to say, if it's from God, they need to hear these words. That Jesus came and said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. No one else can say this. And he, what else did he say to him? And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. So Jesus is Lord of all the churches. He is the head of the body of Christ. The church is not an institution. It's not a physical building. It's not a religious organization. It is the body of Christ all over the world. Today, there's a billion plus Christians who follow after Christ. They've be become the body of Christ. 
They don't have to be in a physical building. They don't have to be a member of a physical institution. They are an organic living entity. They are on this earth, human beings, living stones put together by the will of God. So Jesus saying, send it to my churches. Today we are the church, we are the body of Christ, and the Lord is speaking this same word to us. That is why we study the book of Revelation, because it is for our generation, it's for our time. We're coming so close to the revealing of Antichrist. So Jesus is warning his church, he's telling them what to do to prepare for his return, and also to be prepared to face Antichrist and the persecution that is coming. There is serious persecution coming. There is wars are coming. There's famine that's coming. Pandemic is already here. There are multiple pandemics that are coming. There's a lot of suffering that is coming upon the earth. So before those things happen, we are to study it, to study and understand from God's word that God is warning us in advance that these events will take place and what to do, how to respond. Most people react in fear and they're just scared and they're nervous and they're anxious and they're having panic attacks and they don't know what to do. But when you study the Word of God, it brings faith, it brings confidence, it brings boldness. So you know what? Whatever comes my way, I'm going to overtake it, I'm going to overcome it, I'm going to defeat it, and I'm going to stand strong and wait for the return of my Savior. That's why this book is powerful. That's why it's been commended to study it, to hear it, and to obey it and to apply it. The ones who actually obey it, not just listen to it and hear it and say, oh, wow, that's a great teaching. No, the ones who are ready to obey it unto death. If you have to die for your faith, you have to die for Jesus, that's what this book is telling you about. Be prepared even to die for your faith. And most people are cowards and like, oh, no, I don't want to die and I'm scared of death, I'm scared of pain. And they will walk away from Jesus because if that test comes to a person, most people will fail the test. Because 99% you see people around you, grown men are cowards, spineless, gutless cowards. How can I say they are cowards? Because today they cannot even take a stand for the Word of God. How are they going to stand the test where they have to die for their faith? They're not going to be able to do it. And again, when I say these things, I'm talking to the Western church. The people in the West are the most spineless, gutless cowards. And the people that are living in the East, in the Middle East, in, in Asia, in Africa, in China, they are dying for their faith even right now. They are the persecuted church. God is proud to call them their God. They see miracles happen every day because God is in their midst. It's in the Western church. It's all propaganda. It's false doctrines, false teaching, false prophecy. It's all entertainment. It's a show business. It's a hypocrisy going on here in the West. It's a big circus, like, like I say it, because it is a circus full of clowns, false prophets, false teachers, false pastors, and they are falling one by one in adultery, in all kinds of nonsense, in scandals, in financial scams, selling the gospel, selling anointing oil, selling prophecies. The whole circus is right here in front of you. But they will have to give an account when the Lord returns. We are in serious times. The time to play church is over. Stop playing games. Those who are playing church and think, oh, I feel shaking and I feel goosebumps and I feel the anointing. All that nonsense has to stop. They become, you have to humble yourself, you become sober, do a critical self-examination, search your heart, search your soul, and see where you are falling short. And if you're already in delusion and you've deceived yourself to think, I'm perfect and I'm great and I'm ready to go to heaven, ask God to help you. God will reveal to you very clearly how messed up you are.
And why did Jesus say, write these things? Because these are warnings so that we can study it, read it, understand it, and say, oh my goodness, I have fallen short. I'm a mess. I need to catch up to what God's commandments are, what His standards are. In this place where we live, the standards are the lowest. It's the bottom of the barrel. That's why you have scumbags walking around and just getting away with so much garbage, so much nonsense, because there is no standard. Nobody knows the Bible. Nobody reads the Bible, so they have no standards. Even during this election time, people are voting a wicked man into the White House and they are allowing wickedness to overtake the land. That's why you will get the government you deserve because you are voting in wicked politicians, corrupt politicians. God had sent Donald Trump as a little piece of grace for us to, to sustain us through this time. But no, they wanted him out of the way and they want to put a nasty, wicked, ugly, evil politician in his place. And they're going to ruin this country. Just watch my words. Like I'm saying it right now, we warned you in the past that this nation is going to go down the toilet because of electing the most wicked politicians ever into the White House. And they're going to destroy this nation. They're going to rip this nation apart. They already have an ad agenda of divide and rule. It's called divide and rule. The whole racism card is just a card that politicians play to divide the nation, to divide into subgroups, and to rule over all the division that they create. That's all it is. It's a tactic to rule. It's a power play. So don't get caught up in the whole Black Lives Matter and the race card that politicians play all the time. And Democrats are good in playing that game. They've been playing that game forever. And they're destroying this nation from within. You don't have to worry about foreign nations invading you or whatever. You're destroying yourself from within. Because people have pushed God aside. They've pushed the Bible aside. They've rejected the gospel. They've rejected Jesus. And they've embraced wicked politicians. Say, oh, they are my savior. Even Trump, they look at Trump like he's the savior. He's going to save us. The church is looking to a man. That's why he will lose this election because the church has lost its focus. They put a focus on a man to think this man is going to rescue us. This man is going to change this nation. No, you got to switch over. If he loses, it's because the church looked away from Jesus and they looked to a man. That's why he will lose. He will lose because the church has lost its focus here in the West. They should now turn back to God and say, Lord, only you are the Savior. I cannot put my trust in a man. That's what in this country they're swaying from this side to that side. They are like a yo-yo because they don't have any foundation. And the Bible says if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that's what's happening to this nation right now. It's a tragedy. It's a total mess. We're in the midst of an election right now, which has completely ruined this country. So much corruption, so much tampering with, with the elections and with the, you know, the ballots and so much nonsense is going on because people are looking to man to rescue when they should be looking to God. Every pastor preacher laid hands on Trump and prayed over him and declared and decreed and prophesied and everything when they should be looking to Jesus. He is the Savior. Don't look to man. Look to God. The book of Revelation brings us back to focus. It says what? What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Titeria, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. 
and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So John is describing he's having this amazing encounter, supernatural encounter, and he's writing it all down. And when we read it, we are like, wow, what an amazing experience John had. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Jesus was called the Son of Man throughout the Gospels. The only other book in the Bible where it's mentioned the Son of Man is the book of Ezekiel, where God calls Ezekiel the Son of Man. And now throughout the Gospel, Jesus has the term and the title of the Son of Man. Why is it that way? Because being God Almighty, He humbled Himself to be a man, to be the Son of Man, to come humbly into this earth as a child, grew up to be a man, to be the son of a human. That's why he is called the son of man. And what, what does he look like? He's clothed with a garment down to the feet and gird about the chest with a golden band. So he's wearing robes and he has a golden band across his chest which symbolizes royalty and kingship. Verse 14, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Many times people say, oh, I saw Jesus and this and that. If they, their description of Jesus is not this description, then they saw another Jesus. They didn't see Jesus because his countenance and his appearance is so bright, you cannot describe him. He's too bright to look at. The whole glory of God covers him. He exudes the glory of God. You cannot see his face. You cannot see his features. And there's so many fake prophets and fake apostles running around saying, I saw Jesus. No, you did not. You're a liar. Verse 15. His feet were like a fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Number 16, verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Jesus' appearance is so bright, and he has the seven angels in his hand. All authority, all power, all of these are symbolic. It's not actual stars that he's holding in his hand. And even the sword that's coming out of his mouth is a symbolic visual for us to understand. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. So when he speaks, it's like a sword coming out of his mouth. And his face, his countenance, was like the sun shining in its strength. Look into the sun, like I said in the last episode. You'll not be able to. It'll burn your eyes because you can't look into the face of the sun. It's the same when you look into the face of Jesus. It's just symbolic. Again, he's comparing it to the sun. The brightness of the sun in a noonday is so bright, you can't look directly into the, the sun. The same way you cannot look directly into the face of God and be able to look into his face and see his eyes and his appearance and whatever. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. The power of God was so strong, even in the spirit, that John felt like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. And he just fell down. He collapsed. He couldn't even stand in the presence of the Lord. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. So again, Jesus lifted him up, showed him grace and mercy, and said, you're not going to die. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm sustaining you right now. And I am the first and the last. Again, he's introducing himself as Almighty God to John. He says, yes, John, you knew me as a man, but now you're coming to know me as Almighty God. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. So again, Jesus says, I 
came to the earth, I lived, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. The resurrected Christ is living for eternity now. And he says, Amen, so be it. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Because of the cross, because of his crucifixion, God the Father has handed over the keys of Hades and of death to his son Jesus. He says, now you have authority over death and over hell. Now whoever goes into hell goes by the will of Jesus Christ. When God the Father judges nations, it's Jesus who sends the wicked into hell because he has the keys of Hades and of death. He has the power over death. But those who believe in Jesus, when he said, when he was here on the earth, he says, those who believe in me, though you were dead, yet you shall live. Why could he say that? Why could he make that statement? Because he has the keys of Hades and of death. He has authority and power over hell and even over death. So those who believe on him, those who trust in him, those who have faith in him, those who follow him, those who obey him, those who walk with him, don't have to be afraid of death. Because he has the keys of Hades and of death. Verse 19. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So we read the book of Revelation to understand what will take place after this. John already experienced all of this. And Jesus, yes, you're experiencing all this right now. But now also write about things that will happen after this. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So when John saw the symbols, he was like, it was a mystery for him, like, what is that? So Jesus gives him the understanding. He explains to him that the stars you saw in my hand, they are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the golden lampstands represent the churches, the seven churches. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. So before we step into Revelation chapter 2, we've covered Revelation chapter 1, and it's a brief introduction of who Jesus Christ is. And it's an amazing uh, revelation. The whole book is a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's about to do upon the earth. And we study it, we understand it, and we marvel, and we are amazed to think, wow, the Lord will come and he will do all these things. He will judge nations, he will rule the nations, and he will commend those who obeyed him unto death and to those who disobeyed him and who did not walk in his ways and were lawless and rebellious and narcissists. He will punish, he will send them to Hades. There's a place called Hades. He has the keys to it, and he has the keys to death as well. So death and Hades is waiting for the rebellious and the unbelieving and the wicked you must understand, not everybody's going to go to heaven. There's two different directions that you're going to go. Why do we warn people? When we see people in pride and arrogance and narcissism and just selfishness and self-centeredness, we say, hey, wake up. If you continue this way, you're going to end up in Hades and you will face eternal death. Like, how can you say that? It's because you're worshiping yourself. It's idolatry of self. The ones who are proud, arrogant, rebellious, rude, you know, vicious, selfish, self-centered, mocking spirits, people just walking around, just insulting others, they will face the wrath of God. They're not going to be embraced by Jesus. It's the humble sheep, the ones who are walking in obedience and saying, yes, Lord, I will get punished. I will do whatever it takes, whatever price I have to pay, I will pay it. He's 
they are the ones that the Lord is coming for. There are two groups of people today on the earth, those who truly follow Christ and love Him and obey Him, and the ones who are lawless, running around doing whatever they feel like doing and thinking, oh yeah, I can do whatever. It's my right and it's my freedom and it's, you know, this country gives me that right. Yeah, that right you can exercise all you want right now. But if you die in your iniquity, you die without Christ, you're going to go straight to Hades and you're going to face eternal death. And Jesus right up front, right in his introduction is saying that, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the one who has the keys of Hades and of death. You better watch out. You better humble yourself before me before I return or I will throw you into hell. This is a warning to unbelievers. It's a warning to the wicked. It's a warning to the arrogant and the proud and the rebellious and the narcissist, the selfish, self-centered people. If you stare in the mirror for more than 10 minutes, you are a narcissist. Wake up. Don't get too caught up with your appearance and your outward appearance. Check your heart. You may put all the lipstick and the, you know, all the beauty products and all the hair products and even men have become so narcissistic. They're so obsessed with their appearance. That's a sign that you are a narcissist. It's a bad place to be. These are not times to be so preoccupied with the outward appearance. Check your soul, check your heart, check your mind, check your emotions. Do a self-diagnostic and say, where am I standing before the Lord? If I have an encounter with Jesus like John had an encounter, where is my heart? Do I truly look into his face or I'm too busy looking at my own face? That shows you where you're at. It's a sad place to be if you all you do is look at your own face and you're taking selfies and always talking about yourself and it's a real tragic situation to see so many people in this country like that. It's a horrible thing to see. When we come across people like that, we just say, oh my goodness, they're so much in delusion. They're so deluded. They have no clue where they stand before Almighty God. So we do these broadcasts, we do these messages to wake people up. Those who truly have a heart for God, they will turn. They will repent. But those who are wicked and nasty, they will keep going and keep doing whatever. And we don't waste time on people like that because we know their nature is corrupted to the core. There's no hope for them unless God sovereignly steps in and does a supernatural work, which definitely He does every time. He can rescue the most wicked, narcissistic person ever. But that's the grace of God. But till that happens, we have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, rescue me from myself. I'm a wreck. The devil is not my problem. My family is not my problem. I should not be playing this pity party and this whole victim mindset. I have to look at myself and say, how wretched am I? How messed up am I? So let's go into Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Now we're getting into the, the heavy-duty stuff. We just covered the first chapter, and already that is a heavy, heavy message to understand and to, to really focus and meditate upon and think about and say, my goodness. Who is this Jesus and where do I stand before him? That's what biblical meditation is all about, to study the word, to go deeper into the word and try to understand and to get revelation from God Almighty through his Holy Spirit and say, what is God trying to tell me today? Eastern meditation is opposite. It's to empty your mind and free your thoughts and don't think about anything else and become completely blank and wait for something to happen. That's Eastern meditation. And that's an invitation for open demonic possession. That's all it is. 
and it comes from Hinduism, it comes from yoga, it comes from Eastern uh, Buddhism. I come from that land so I can see the consequences of that kind of meditation. People are demon-possessed over there. You can lay hands on any person there and say, in the name of Jesus, and demons start coming out of these people. And they've been practicing Hinduism for decades. And now in the West, everything has become popular. The Hindu teachings have become popular here. Yoga has become popular. Meditation, Eastern meditation has become popular. Mindfulness and all this garbage. Because people are clueless over here. Because they've never studied the Bible. God has never warned them about it. And now they've embraced new age religions and old age religions like Hinduism. And they think, oh, I'm so cool. I can do meditation for an hour and I feel relaxed and my body's comfortable and my muscles are stretched. And yeah, all that can be good for your physical body right now. But you will end up for eternity in hell for practicing those things. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is saying, write to this church, tell them, I'm the one that is holding the seven stars. The seven angels assigned to the seven churches are in the hands of Jesus. No one else has that authority. The Vatican doesn't have it. The Pope doesn't have it. The saints of God in the past don't have it. Mary does not have any authority, any power, nothing. And you go around the Catholic world and you see statues of Mary all over the place. Big cathedrals built. I've gone across Europe. I've traveled in so many countries. And you see massive cathedrals built in honor of Mary. And she is the focus and she's the, you know, given the preeminence. And that's a false teaching. That's a heresy, basically, to make her to be like God, to worship her and to pray to her. The whole Catholic doctrine of praying to Mary is garbage. It's heresy. Because Jesus is the one who says, I have all authority, all power. Nobody can take it from me, and I've not given it to anybody else. When you see him reading all, telling all these things to John, you don't see him say, hey, look, Mary is next to me. Pray to her and give offerings to her and cry out to her. He doesn't mention Mary once. Mary is not mentioned once in the book of Revelation. Right there you know that she has no authority, she has no power, she's a nobody. It's Jesus, the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. It's the Father, Jehovah, Yahweh. It's Jesus, the Son of God, the resurrected Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit. That's called the Trinity. And we worship the Trinity. We worship the Father, the Heavenly Father, who is seated on His throne. We worship Jesus, the Son of God. And we worship through the Holy Spirit, God in the Trinity. You cannot add to that. You cannot add Mary in there. You can't add the saints in there. You can't add anything to the Trinity. That's blasphemy. That's heresy. And the Catholic Church does that all the time. Verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So the Lord knows your labor, He knows your patience, He knows your walk, He knows your life, He knows everything about you, He knows your attitude towards evil. And He says, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. We are called to test these people who are running around saying, I'm an apostle. We've tested them out. The pandemic has tested these fake apostles and they've been found to be liars. So Jesus is already calling them out in those times for today. 
When we read that, we're like, wow, all these bunch of apostles running around, they are found to be liars. Why are they liars? Because they declared and decreed and prophesied against this pandemic, nothing happened. That proved they have no power, they have no authority, they have no standing before God. They are fake. They are false apostles. They've been proven to be liars. And this verse says it very clearly. And it's Jesus who's calling them out to be liars. Let's read it again. Verse 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Anytime you come across somebody who says, I'm an apostle, tell them, read Revelation 2, verse 2. And that's their litmus test, whether they are an apostle or not. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So there are a lot of people today running around, I'm an apostle and I'm an apostle. They are saying that they are apostles, but they are not. And they have been found to be liars. You can't be an apostle and a liar together. All these fake apostles running around saying, I'm going to declare against this pandemic. And it's a circus show. It's a clown show. Whole bunch of them. Their videos are still on YouTube. You can go and check any apostle next to their name. Check what they decree declared during the January, February, March. They do it every month and still nothing has happened because the pandemic is still here. That proves that they are liars. They have been found to be liars. And if you're still chasing after these apostles and prophets, wake up. You're chasing after liars. These are fake apostles, fake prophets. Verse 3, And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. So those who truly serve Christ, those truly are laboring in the harvest, working, doing the hard work, reaching out to people, witnessing to people, praying for them, fasting for them, the Lord says, yes, I can see your labor. And it's for the name of Jesus. It's not for their own personal gain. It's not for personal profit. It's not for money. It's not for personal gain. It is for the name of Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to declare the gospel. And the Lord knows those people. And he says, I know your patience. I know your perseverance. I know your labor. And you have not become weary. We have become exhausted. But God regains us our strength. He rebuilds us. We have been pressing on and paying the price and running the race and walking with those who are struggling and who need deliverance, who need help, who need prayer. We fast and pray. We stand in the gap. My wife has done it so well for so long and it has taken out of our time. It's a sacrificial doing. But God knows the labor. He knows the work. He knows and it's not for personal glory. It's not for personal fame or fortune or whatever. It's for the glory of God. Everything we say, everything we do is for the glory of God. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So this is an indictment against those who serve Christ, who are doing His work. But in the process, they have got so caught up in serving others and serving people and doing the work of the ministry, that they have lost their first love. We have been in the same place. We stop worshiping, we stop praying, we stop really just meditating on who the Lord is, and we get caught up with everybody's dramas and craziness and all their issues and their bondages and the baggage and so much stuff to deal with. 
and to try to help them and to work their, them through their issues and through their problems and everything. And it drains you of all your energy and your time and all the effort that you put into people that you've lost your first love. So the Lord corrects us. He rebukes us. This is a rebuke. This is not a commendation. He's like, yes, I know you're working busy for me, but you have left your first love. So what is his uh, advice to those who have done all that? And they think, oh, look, I'm serving God. And look, God is pleased with me. And, and the Lord saying, yeah, I can see all of that, but I'm not pleased. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. So we've fallen down. We're exhausted. We're running around like a chicken without a head, trying to help people. And we have fallen. And the Lord says, remember. Remember in the days past when you would truly worship me, you would seek my face, you would cry out to me. Remember that time and repent. Repent and do the first works. So the advice that the Lord is giving, the warning he's giving, he's saying, look, I can see all that you've done for me and for my kingdom, for my ministry, for my church, but now I want you to come back to the first place, your first love. If you lose that and you do everything else, God is not pleased with us. We must come back to our first love. We must repent. We must take a step back and say, Lord, I need to seek your face again. I need to pray. I need to worship you again. I cannot uh, deny you. I cannot uh, ignore you. I cannot put you aside for everybody else. Everybody has this, oh, but my mother, oh, but my sister, oh, but my brother, oh, my husband, oh, my this, oh, my children. Everybody has one stronghold in their life that they're struggling with. Lay it down, just like Abraham did. He put his son on the altar. He says, okay, this is my beloved son. I'm going to lay him on the altar because I want to see Jehovah. We are in the same place like Abraham. What is your Isaac? What is the thing that is holding you back from loving God all the way? There are some that are single, say, oh, I'm looking for my husband. I'm looking for my wife. That has become your idol now. You're chasing after an idol. You made that the focus and you're trying to use God to get your idol. Don't be in that bad place. Wake up. Don't be chasing an idol and say, Lord, give me my idol because I'm, look, I'm serving you. Look, I'm worshiping you. Look, but give me my idol. Whatever that idol that you're worshiping and you're chasing after, God is not pleased with it. Lay it down. Be crucified to it. Whether it's your husband, your wife, your children, some family member, mother, father, sister, brother, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is that you're holding on to or trying to look for and saying, oh, Lord, what's happening? Why isn't it coming to me? That's your idol. Destroy that idol. Come back to the first place. Repent. For, for ministry people, those who are in ministry, their, their ministry is their idol. Very easy to get caught up and say, oh, look, I'm serving God and I'm doing all these things for God. Yeah, that has become your idol. And the Lord says, repent and do the first works. Why? Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. He's like, I will come to you quickly and I will basically take you out. You could even die. So unless you repent. There are people that have tried to serve God and everything and they lost their love. They turned their back on God. They kept doing whatever they were doing and they died before their time. And they wonder like, what happened? I was doing all of this good stuff and I was doing the right things and everything. And then now I died before my time. Or somebody in my family died before their time. You know they died before their time because they had a long life ahead of them. 
but they didn't get to live that life because your life is not just about you and your the american dream and all of that no it's about seeking jesus it's to fall in love with god that's your life that should be your life we get caught up with our own ple- pleasures and our own personal desires and cravings and this and that and we give up on loving jesus and he says repent quickly because i will come to you quickly and i will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent there have been warnings god gave you you've had nearly you had accidents that you nearly had in the past and things happened to you and you ended up in the hospital and all these things are warnings from the lord he's saying watch out get your heart right with me or i will come to you quickly and i will take you out i will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent this is a strict warning that if we don't examine our heart and set our minds and hearts on the lord to love him all the way the first commandment to love the lord your god with all your heart and soul and mind and strength then the lord says i will come and your life on your time on this earth is over people get so caught up with business and work and money and finances and this and that and they have lost their first love so she says watch out don't ever mess up in that area because then i will come and i will take you out so repent god is showing mercy he says if you repent you will live a long life you will be blessed i will give you all the needs and whatever you have in your life he's not denying you anything but he says always keep me first first god has to come first not your desires and your soul and your passions and whatever that you're craving and all of that no repent of all of that crucify all of that and say lord i want to love you first verse 6 but this you have that you hate the deeds of the nicolaitans which i also hate so there's a one thing jesus said this is one thing that you have and you're doing the right thing what is this the deeds of the nicolaitans there was a sect there was a creed called the nicolaitans they were like the catholic priests they were rule over organizations and they would force groups of people to do what they were telling them to do and do it like like a religion and god hates religion so he's saying you know what you hate religion i hate religion too so when you come across religious people god hates religious people that's why we don't tell you do this do that don't do this don't do that we don't do that we said check your heart get your heart right that part you have to do repent you must repent but i'm good i'm i'm a, i'm perfect yeah that's what you got to repent of i did nothing wrong that statement just you made that is what you repent of what do you mean you did nothing wrong ask people around you they'll tell tell they'll tell you how many things you did wrong anybody walking around thinking i'm perfect and i did nothing wrong has a million things that they did wrong they just being hypocrites revelation chapter 2 verse 7 he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches this is a commandment for believers and to the churches and jesus if you have ears to hear you will hear this the wicked the narcissistic the evil the arrogant the proud they will turn this off they will not listen to this message because this is what the spirit is saying from his word to his people send this message to a wicked person they'll say oh no i don't want to hear this oh they'll just turn it off within the first 5 minutes we got people watching it on youtube and they watch it for 5 minutes and they cut it off and they switch to another video why because they do not want to hear the truth they want somebody to tickle their ears they want somebody to entertain them they want somebody to make them laugh well we are not in that category 
We are not into entertainment. We're here to confront you, to bring your life into divine order. If that's what you're looking for, well, then pay attention to the message. When you're looking for entertainment, you're looking for somebody to make you feel happy and feel good for the moment, then go find some funny videos or cat videos or whatever that is on YouTube. This is a serious message for people that are in serious times and a serious moment of self-examination and say, let me check my life and get ready before the Lord comes. He will come quickly and he will take me out. I don't want to be in that position. I want to be ready like the wise virgins. We're not talking to the foolish virgins. We're not talking to the unbeliever and the wicked and the narcissist. We're talking to those who have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. We're not speaking to the unbeliever. We're not speaking to the wicked. They are not going to hear anyways. But this word is for the churches. This grace, this mercy, this goodness, this compassion that God is for us, it's for the church. And then what does the Lord say? To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. So the Lord is looking for overcomers. He's not looking for lazy people. He's not looking for those who are just, you know, lawless and saying, I can do whatever I want and don't tell me anything about Jesus and I don't want to talk to you about God and don't waste my time and, you know, I'm too busy and I'm making money and whatever. No, it's to him or her who overcomes. Overcomes what? Overcomes your flesh, overcomes your own soul, your own desires, your own passions, who overcomes Satan, who overcomes the wicked society you live in, who overcomes this world. God is requiring His church to overcome. And you can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. In your flesh, in your soul, in your own mind, you cannot overcome. We see people that are demonized and tormented trying to overcome Satan, and Satan is ruling over them. He's tormenting them. He's tormenting their children and their grandchildren. We come across that case after case after case. We live in a valley that is full of witchcraft. And every family is infected by witchcraft. And they all have horrible consequences. From sickness to disease to torment to early death to deformed children. All kinds of things that you see. The consequences of witchcraft. Panic attacks, spirit of fear, Ugly, ugly consequences, and they cannot overcome because they don't want to obey God. They just want to do what they want to do. They want to stay in lawlessness, and then they also want miracles from God, and they don't get nothing from God. So the Lord is commending people to those who overcome. First is to those who hear. You cannot overcome unless you first hear the word of God, obey it fully. Then you have the ability and the authority from God Almighty to overcome. So Jesus is saying to those who are obedient to him, he says, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. No, Nobody can just walk up to the tree of life and eat from it. There are massive angels guarding it. The cherubim guarding the tree of life. If you even try to approach it in heaven, they will cut you in half. They have flaming swords. Unless you have been given permission by the Lord Jesus to go up to the tree of life and eat from it. Nobody else has the authority in heaven to do that. So the Lord is saying, this is the reward for you. If you overcome whatever challenges you face today, whatever battles you face today, your own flesh is your stumbling block, your idols that you have that's making you fall, overcome it. And the Lord will give to you to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the Lord is telling you very clearly. He's not just giving you some fruit or some 
something from some regular generic tree. He's saying this is the tree of life and it's a reward for you to eat of it because you overcame whatever is your stumbling block, whatever is your bondage, whatever is your stronghold, whatever issues you may have, whatever narcissism that you have, everything, your pride, your rebellion, everything that you're struggling with. If you overcome it and you obey fully the word of God and you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, you, he says to you, I will give you to eat of the tree of life. And it's in the paradise of God. You get access to the paradise of God. That's amazing. That's an amazing promise. So study this, Revelation chapter 1 to verse 7. And we're going to close here and then continue next week from Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. But think about it. All these are promises to obedient overcomers. It's not for just everybody. Because you see that delusion everywhere. People go, they're living in lawlessness, attending some physical building. They call it a church. And they say, I'm going to go to heaven. No, you're not. If you don't overcome your own narcissism, your own wickedness, your own selfishness, your own sinful lifestyle, your double lifestyle, then you will not eat of the tree of life and you will not be able to overcome. You will be defeated and then you'll end up in Hades and death. So understand, there's a price to pay. There's an obedience to, to accomplish. There's a walk to walk and an overcoming to be done. And throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus keeps re reminding us of this topic and this theme of overcoming. We did a teaching a, a while back on all the verses of to those who overcome, I will give this. To those who overcome, I will bless that. I will do this. I will do that. There are a lot of verses regarding the overcoming. So the Lord himself is giving us clear instructions of what we need to do to overcome, to repent of our wicked ways, to fall in love with Jesus again, and to be able to have the privilege and the honor to be able to eat from the tree of life. So it's a very exclusive group of people the Lord is inviting to come. Invitation is to the whole world, but it's to the overcomer that the rewards are for. So think about that. So let's go to the end of this message that we would fully understand, fully take it into our spirit, man, and obey it. Not to just listen to it and say, oh yeah, that's a great message, whatever. No, meditate on it. Not just what I'm saying, but take the time. Open your Bible yourself and read it. Don't be lazy with the things of God. You may have time to go and do everything else on the earth and you don't have time to open your Bible, then you're not overcoming anything. You may feel all successful and I'm doing this and I'm I'm all that in a bag of chips. But if you haven't even opened your own Bible, you are lazy in the eyes of God and you will lose your life before the time. This pandemic is taking a lot of people's lives and if they were not obedient to God, maybe they are dying before their time. So it's a wake-up call for everybody, the whole earth. So be prepared to check your heart and be ready for His return. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.